I don't think we're in the, the time of great tribulation. But if this is 6,000 years complete in 2025, then you begin the 70th week. You're going to wind up approximately because of the month situation, the third month or whatever of 2025. You're going to wind up in the year 2033. All I could see was this light coming in. The Holy Spirit went. It blew into me. I have never been the same since then. That was it. I'm done. I was born again. Welcome to the Weird Christian Podcast. I am your host, Samuel Delgado, and this is episode 43. I interview Doug Krieger. We talk about his book, Signs in the Heavens and on Earth, Man's Days Are Numbered, and how he believes the tribulation is going to start in year 2025. We get into New Jerusalem, and we talk about what he's deemed as Commonwealth theology. So... With no further ado, let's get weird. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, let's start with your testimony. Uh, how did you grow up and how did you come to know Christ? Well, I grew up as a staid Luther. Okay. Stayed mm-hmm. because I wasn't too excited about it. <laughs> I didn't know the Lord really. I knew about the Lord, about God, but I never, I never encountered the real Christ. Uh, my sister uh, was involved in the Hell's Angels. Not very uh, uh, much of a radical. I would say she was over the top a little bit. And uh, then she found Christ and then led me to the Lord uh, through a home Bible study uh, when I was a teenager. And uh, from there, I um, uh, never looked back. Uh, I've been with the Lord now for many, many years, and uh, he has been faithful to me. And I've gone through all kinds of... uh, signs wonders and cucumbers over the years and uh, <laughs> and uh i was a uh, uh been in all kinds of businesses everything from public relations to general contracting to uh, a teacher i was a teacher in mathematics for about 20 years and in middle school administrator and um so after going through all those things i uh decided after i retired as an administrator principal of a school that i would uh, begin to write. And uh, the first book I wrote was with Doug uh, Woodward, and that was on the final Babylon. And so right now I'm a book publisher. Uh, I help others publish their books, uh, self-publishing. In fact, I just got through doing a book just now on uh, by the Russians. This is a Russian short story book by a fellow <laughs> by the name of um, Vladimir Mieson. Uh, I'm on the board of Word to Russia. So in fact, I'm on about three or four boards. I love boards, right? <laughs> the boards of the tabernacle and picture ministry. And uh, so we've, we've uh, been so blessed to uh, have been able to uh, help others publish their own books. Uh, wide, wide variety of, of literature. Uh, you can go to my site, uh, tribnet.org, tribnet.org, and you can, you can see all the books that are out there. Everything from marriage books on marriage counseling uh, that others have written uh, to uh, poetry. I did just did a book on elephants. <laughs> elephants. Oh, wow. What do elephants have to do with poetry? A lot in many ways. You've got to get the book. It's by <laughs> Steve Sims from Tennessee, uh, who's written uh, two or three books. One's called Off the Racetrack. Probably the best book I've ever read on uh, uh, you know getting the the uh, 
divergent race streams together around the Lord. He's just a wonderful man of God. A first uh, white preacher in an all-black denomination. Uh, just an amazing guy. Uh, Church of God in Christ. Uh, and uh, he's just an amazing person. He lives in Nashville. I have a lot of, I have a lot of buddies in Nashville, by the way. But I'm not moving there. I'm the Californian, uh, you know, uh, Daniel staying in Babylon. You know, I never did get back. <laughs> I got yeah. Um, Somebody's so, got to stay in Babylon. <laughs> yeah. It blows my mind. I think that uh, this is basically a you know second career because I was looking at all the books you've written. You've written yeah. uh, just a ton of books. Um, how did you get into to Bible prophecy? Well, we've always been sort of into Bible prophecy. A buddy of mine, uh, Dean McGriff, who I just had breakfast with this morning, uh, he and I, uh, back in 2004, uh, started uh, a podcast. Not, well, it was actually a, a website uh, called the uh, Tribulation Network. And uh, that particular podcast was getting about a million five hundred thousand hits a day. I mean, it was huge. We had a yeah. massive following. And uh, we did that for about uh, maybe a 10 year run. And then, and then I met uh, Doug, um, then during that course of that, uh, that uh, podcasting and the, and the website, uh, I retired from teaching and uh, got into this uh, writing books. And then I got into the publication ministry and just, just very gradually graduated. Then we have a studio, uh, we do audio books. Um, you can hear our audio books. I got involved with the One Body Life Ministry, and then the, uh, uh, which is a great ministry on ecclesia, trying to get uh, God's people together to contribute when they come uh, together, not just to sit and listen or, or yeah. even just to come and worship, but to actually prophesy, to be prophetic, to speak, to share uh, their experiences of the Lord when they all come together. And yeah, I feel yeah. that's the that's the norm for Ecclesia. Excuse me, what do you want to say? No, no, I, I was just uh, nodding along. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're involved in all these ministries, uh, helping uh, God's people uh, come together uh, with different ministries. I usually, in Sacramento, I, I work with others that bring in uh, different ministries that we all come together and share our portion uh, of the Lord. Uh, we have a little thing called the Moxie Living Room. We're in the cement business. That's another little side issue I'm involved in. <laughs> so we, we have cement additives, but we have a room called the living room in our warehouse. And we got these 20-foot stage curtains we put up. It's really cool. Okay. Wow. And we get about 40 or 50 people in there, just big enough for everybody to share and uh, hmm. praise and worship and, and uh, love the Lord. So I'm, I'm into all these things. And, and my poor wife, I just drag her around with me. <laughs> And, and so we uh, we have a great time in the uh, but, you know, frequently once in a while I, I uh, visit a, an institutional church and uh, because they're, they're all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so but I'm involved primarily with people who are involved in ministry. And uh, that's why I like doing podcasts. I've, I've done a, a scores of podcasts all over the place. And yeah. just so the word gets out and God's people circulate. God's people need to. Uh, meet other people who are not like them uh, but, you know we have christ as our center and that's yeah, all that yeah. counts so you yeah. know i'm a i'm an avid uh, sort of a, a a person on certain doctrines but if you believe that you want to worship on every day of the week that's great with me too i praise the lord as long as you're focused on christ um 
your particular practice. A doctrine never saved me, but a person did. That's where I'm at. Amen. Amen. I love that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we um, have to have that info. But that doesn't mean I can't wander off into the great beyond and write books like uh, Signs in the Heavens and on the Earth, Man's Days Are Numbered, and He Is Measured. That is critical. And uh, yeah, so I wrote this book on mathematics, uh, the biblical mathematics, right? Uh, yeah. After teaching math for 20 years and and uh, even with the best of them, I taught with uh, Jaime Escalante, uh, the famed uh, uh, teacher from Garfield High School in Los Angeles, uh, hmm. who uh, graduated all these uh, <laughs> crazy Hispanic kids and they're passing the, the advanced placement tests and calculus. And, uh, you know, people thought, well, you can't do that. You know, these people can't really, you know, they're not, they're not good in mathematics. They were terrific. What do you mean they're not good in mathematics? I mean, uh, those Hispanic kids were the best ones we had. And, and by, by the time he finished up at Garfield, um, there were over 300 uh, kids that were passing the uh, advanced placement examinations uh, for university work. And uh, just, you know, it was terrific. So I taught with the best of them. But after re retiring, I thought, why did I learn all these, all this stuff on mathematics? And then I went to the Bible and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just said, hey, this is why. Hmm. and bam the whole thing just opened up and yeah. it's still continuing to open up it's just glorious wow yeah times and seasons are in his hands and man's days are measured uh you know and and uh, god is really into uh, the dimensions of paradise <laughs> it really is yeah and I, and I love the american uh uh situation you know for for years i tried to teach metric systems and uh and all of a sudden, we were going kilometers from here to uh, Davis, California, from Sacramento. And then they took the signs down. We went back to miles, you know. And I, I still can't handle being uh, weighed in grams. I have to be weighed in pounds. I can't stand filling up with liters. I have to fill up with gallons. Now, what's the deal between the British imperial measuring system and the metric system worldwide? Only the United States almost exclusively out of all the nations of the world cannot get into the metric system period we just can't yeah. get into it <laughs> yeah, just, right. certain engineers do and stuff like that people that are into trigonometry but overall we can't get into it right it's just we're base 12 and we're gonna die base 12 okay yeah. <laughs> and it's good because there's 24 hours in a day 12 in the morning and 12 in the evening okay and then you know have you ever asked yourself well, how many minutes are in a day in a 24-hour time frame? <laughs> all these atheists are running around going, I don't have anything to do with God. Well, guess what? You're walking around it every single moment of the day. How's that? Well, okay, you, let's start off with the minutes in the day. There are 1,440 minutes in every day. 60 minutes in an hour times 24 is going to get you 1,440 minutes. Well, big deal, 144. It is a big deal. Yeah, that's crazy. Because the New Jerusalem is full of 144s, as well as the wall of the New Jerusalem, 144. The 12 elders, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Hey, you put this 12 and 12 together times as factors, and you're going to wind up with 144. Okay, so 144. Okay, forget about you know uh, any other number set. That's really important. 144, and you're living in it every day. So who would ever think that the New Jerusalem 
and its measurements, 12,000 furlongs by 12,000 furlongs. 12,000 by 12,000 is going to give you 144 million square furlongs on one face of the six-faced cube New Jerusalem. I, it could be a pyramid too, but I, look, I like the cube, okay? Yeah. Why? Because every side's got 144 on it, every face. How many faces? There are six faces on the cube. Okay, you are the new Jerusalem as a bride descending from the heavens. You better know your measurements, right? My son, when he got married, I said, well, do you know her measurements? And he says, dad, that's very personal. I said, well, <laughs> you know, the Bible gives the bride's measurements. What's wrong with that, right? And so I said, look, it, you got 12,000 by 12,000 furlongs. That's 144 million square furlongs on one face. And there's six faces to every box, right? Six times 144 is going to give you 864. Okay, 864,000 miles just happens to be the diameter of our sun, right? Mm -hmm. And then the moon, our moon is 2,160 miles across. And if you square the, uh, put a square around the moon, you're going to get 8,640 miles mm, eight wow. six four so that's why in revelation 12 the the sun shines on the woman whose righteousness is christ alone and then she shines on the moon beneath her feet so that's why there's an eight six four on that moon <laughs> when it's full right and mm -hmm. so you know you look at the new jerusalem you see this eight six four and then you say why why does our sun had this 864 on it because he is the son of righteousness who shall appear with healing in his wings, Malachi 4.2. So the new Jerusalem has no need of the sun <laughs> because the lamb is its lamp, right? Mm -hmm. That's the lamp and, and that's the light. He's the light of the world. So he's our 864. So what I found out is that the mathematics of the Bible are persistent and consistent all the way through the text. It's just an amazing thing. And so if you take seven days and you got 86,400 uh, seconds, okay, you're going to, you're going to, you, you will, you're going to wind up with a number set. If it's divided by two, 12 in the morning, 12 in the evening, as every day is, you're going to wind up with the number that says 3024. And it turns out that 3024 happens to be the measurement of the wall of the New Jerusalem when it's multiplied by 144 cubits. And I believe that a cubit is 25.20 feet. So if, if inches, 25.20 inches times, you know, the 144. And if it's 24, if it's 25.20 inches divided by 12 inches, that will give you 2.1 feet. 2.1 feet times 144 cubits is going to give you 302.4. So the times in, in the, of, a, of a day broken down into minutes and seconds and a week are equal to the measurements of the New Jerusalem. Mm. Just astonishing. It's unbelievable. And why? Why? Because God is absolute. Mm. 
and numbers are absolute and there's no fudgy wudgy okay even the decimals are absolute right and uh so so you know i'm just saying that the bible is so cohesive it's pretty marvelous so if yeah. you got any questions shoot yeah yeah I, I do so i think i was listening to an interview uh, i think it was like i said it was on the prophecy roundtable with uh, doug hamp and you were talking about you know you you're talking about the the uh tribulation and you know talking about 2018 talking about 2024 so I, I, or 2025 so i went and read your book um and uh i can't remember if you if you set a date in there or not um what, here's, what here's, the, th- here's on, on, the thing on the date here's the thing uh-huh. on the date. if you read my book signs in the heavens you're going to find out that i believe that adam was created in the year 3975 not 4004 as bishop usher mm-hmm. yeah brilliant he was brilliant, but he determined 4004. Now, Doug Woodward's got a whole new book on uh, why the Septuagint is more accurate. Book, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've gone into the Hebrew. I've looked at the, the uh, uh, you know, I just differ with Doug. I'm, I'm yeah. into the 1,000-year uh, 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 text of the Hebrews, of the, of the Jews, I think they got it right. I think the Maserati text is 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 uh, more reliable when it comes to the chronologies. And the Dead Sea Scroll seems to bear that out. Okay. In other words, the Septuagint was was written from the allegedly from the Hebrew into the Greek uh, back in about 200 BC, and it's uh, it stood the test of time in its own way. But I don't think that the chronologies are accurate. He's got an additional 1,600 years on there versus uh, the Maseratic text, which basically says that Seth, you know, Adam begat Seth uh, at 110 years of age, okay, whereas they're looking at 210 years of age that yeah. uh, Seth was born. So there's stuff like that. Now, I'm based speculating, on that, but I'd like to know your thoughts on, because, you know, his thoughts were there is a conspiracy you know, to discredit Christ, what would yeah. be the reason for the Septuagint being off, you know, by like well, 100 years for all these patriarchs? All the rabbis of any merit and all of the uh, early church fathers or anybody who's a bit into the chronologies of the Bible has always believed that uh, 6,000 years has been committed to man. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, you know, the seventh is the Sabbath and that is the millennial era. Era. And uh, so, I mean, I'm not coming up with anything new here. Uh, this has been going on for, you know, uh, for, the, for, for, uh, for a long time, okay? Uh, the 39 authors of the Bible, I think everybody would conclude that one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. And we can do a lot of different things with that. But uh, there's always been this affirmation that man has 6,000 years. So what I did in signs in the heavens, we can call the book that, is that I came up with the reality that the um, uh, the verse in Genesis chapter six, verse three, man's days uh, shall be 120 years. But that is a mathematical problem in Hebrew. In other words, I'm thinking of a number that was written by Moses who wrote the Torah or had it written, and he was writing the Torah. And, and he was speaking of that man's days 
shall be 120 years. We know that Noah lived 300 years after the flood. Yeah. Uh, you know, Shem lived 500 years after the flood. So it wasn't talking about those kinds of years. Okay. It was talking about somebody else's years. Well, who lived 120 years? That's the guy who wrote the Torah. Moses lived 120 years. So that mm -hmm. has to do with Moses. Man's yeah. day shall be 120 years. And then it says this as a word problem. Don't you love a word problem? I'm thinking of a number. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's been doubled and then multiplied by 100. Oh, what do you mean? Okay. So there's a number. And I believe that number was 49. Okay. Which is the year of Jubilee. And yeah. 49 appears in Zechariah big time. And Jesus said, forgive them seven times 70. And so you get 49 out of that. A lot of 49s in the Bible. And they yeah. are spiritually impactful. Well, okay. So if the original number set was 49, thank you, Moses. Let's divide that in two. And then take that number and multiply it by 100. That's what the Hebrew text indicates. So the half of 49 is 2450. 24.50 times 100 will give you 2,450 years. So it was 2,450 years until the birth of Moses. Okay, this is what I came up with. 2,450. And so let's look at the 2,450 years. Now, most evangelical scholars indicate that the Passover prior to the 40 years of the wilderness journey took place in 1444 or 1445 BC or BCE, whichever you prefer. Right. Now, 1445, uh, my, uh, add to that 2450, okay? No, you don't add that 2450 there because you got 80 years was Moses when the Passover hit. So added to 2450, you got to add the 80 years. That'll bring you up to 2530 years until the Passover. Now, if the Passover took place in 1445, you do the math. If, if it took place in 1445, as most scholars say it did. Yeah. Best of them. Then add uh, 2530, and you're going to wind up at 37, okay, 3975 BC, which happens to be about 33 years uh, le uh, less than Bishop Usher's 4004. So, so that's kind of like the age of Christ, 33 year difference between Bishop Usher and my dates. I like yeah. that. <laughs> and because it, it just it just resonates well. Well, okay. So what I did is I started adding up the years of the patriarchs. And I found out that from the creation of Adam until the uh, the promise with Isaac. Yeah. When he was given the promise in, in Genesis 26. The promise was given to Abraham. And he was going to get a son. And that son was Isaac. Go to Galatians chapter 3. And you're going to find out that Isaac is the son of promise. But then yeah. he was given the promise to have sons. So he got married 
when he was 40 years of age. It's all found in Genesis. And yep. then after 12 years, when he was 52, he was kind of desperate. But he's an archetype of Christ. So he isn't leaving the good land. Everybody else can roam around like Abraham and Jacob. But this guy, Isaac, has to stay put. Even they said, you know, his servant went out and found him a bride, brought the bride back. Isaac never left the good land, but he tried to. <laughs> and God said, you're not leaving anywhere. You're staying right here. And so it was eight years afterwards when he was 60 years of age that he had Esau and Jacob. Okay, that was Isaac. And so, but at age 52. So it's very fascinating. There are 2,100 years to the age of 52 for Isaac, okay? It's really great. <laughs> so I figured out, well, we got 2,100 years there, and now all I need is to get to 2,530. I got 80 for Moses, so what's this thing in the middle? And so I calculated uh, Isaac's age, and then Joseph's age, and Jacob's age, Jacob's age, Joseph's age, and the time they went into the uh, Egypt and how long they were really there and everything. And it wound up uh, exactly right on target that in 1444-45, that um, was the first Passover. Okay. So if you use the chronology of the Maseratic text, you're going to get uh, that number of years, 2,530 years to the Passover from the creation of Adam. Now, it's very simple after that, because be, be, between Passover and the fourth year of Solomon's reign in uh, 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 Kings uh, 6 1, 1 Kings 6 1, it was exactly 480 years. It says so yeah. from the Passover to the laying of the foundation of the temple, the fourth year of Solomon's reign. And so we know this. It was 480 years. It's given to us. So you put another 480 on there. And then you're going to get the famous year of 712 with the destruction of uh, the, the uh, Israelite capital of Samaria. Okay, that was clearly uh, delineated. Uh, and that was the final, uh, it was 721. But then in 712, Sennacherib's armies came up. And that was when they were doing the mop up in the 10 tribes of the north, the Assyrians were. And so by 712 under Hezekiah, that's when the time changed. And the became not 360 years uh, uh, for one year, 360 days, but 365.2425 uh, days a year, okay, because of what happened with Hezekiah, all right? The earth rotation, everything slowed up, okay? The, the, the orbit of the earth around the sun slowed an additional 5.2425 days. And by the way, all the ancient calendars changed. <laughs> eventually within the first hundred years after that what happened to hezekiah okay and so so uh 712 becomes a very pivotal day and then 537 is uh the decree of cyrus the great uh for the jews to go back uh, 608 bc is a is a classical day uh, of the ninth of av when the uh, temple uh, was destroyed by the babylonian uh viceroy at the time uh, nebuchadnezzar and uh, so these are dates in history, uh, and the Bible lines up with history in the main on these dates. A lot of skepticism that, no, no, it doesn't. 
Oh, we'll get into it, will you? And you'll find out exactly the 13 kings of Persia. And when they reigned, the Persians were very strict when it came to the issue of the chronology of their kings. There were 13 of them. And 12 were really considered actual kings. The last one was it was a phony. And Alexander the Great snuffed him out. Okay, so what happened is all through, and then you, you, you know when this happened, because the dates of the Greeks and the Persians were very precise. And, and then you look at those dates, and you go from uh, uh, Alexander the Great all the way to the Maccabean period in uh, 164 uh, BC uh, was the rededication of the uh, temple, of the second temple and everything. And then you have all those dates with Caesar and so forth and so on. So the question is, uh, well, when, when, when did the uh, uh, birth of Christ take place? And uh, there's a fellow by the name of John Pratt, who is a, uh, a rocket scientist, astrophysicist uh, out of Utah. And after everything that I've researched and read, I believe that his um, dates are incredibly accurate with regards to the termination of Herod the Great when he was consumed by worms and what happened. And that uh, he wrote an article entitled Another Date uh, for the Death of Herod. And he says it was in uh, the 1 AD side of the 1 BC, 1 AD year. 1 BC on terrestrial time, Earth time is six months, and 1 AD uh, is six months. And that 1 BC, 1 AD is really one year, one year. And so he died. Uh, in December of 1 AD. And mm -hmm. so he proves this astronomically. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's always the issue of the taxation. When did that take place? And, and all these different things. But, uh, you know, the Catholics got it right. Okay. <laughs> I think Jesus was crucified at exactly 33 years of age. Now, they didn't get that right, because I believe he was born on a Passover and that he died on a Passover. He was born to die. And he was born in the spring and he died on the spring on his 33rd birthday. He lived a full 32 years. Okay. Mm. And uh, that can be proven by the 1 AB, uh, 1 BC, 1 AD, and goes all the way up to 32 uh, 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 AD. And then in 33 AD, he was crucified the first three months of that year, 33 AD, having lived a full 32 years at the age of 33. He was crucified. Anyway, um, I won't die on that hill, but that's the way I believe. <laughs> and so, and the Passion Week starts on a Sunday and ends on a Sunday. They're right on that score. Okay, I believe that Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem was on the tenth of the Hebrew calendar uh, uh, month of Nisan. Okay, and then uh, on the tenth of Nisan, also. Uh, Ezekiel saw the holy district on the 10th of Nisan, and the Israelites crossed the Jordan River on the 10th of Nisan. So what's it with the 10th of Nisan? Lots. So these kinds of dates become very significant in the Bible. I mean, why would God attach the 10th of Nisan to be the date that the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, okay, into the good land? Why would that be the date that Ezekiel saw the holy district? and the holy city in a vision, Ezekiel 40 through 48. Why is it that on that date, Jesus had his triumphal entry, according to Zechariah chapter 9, 
into Jerusalem, and every gospel records it. So, anyway, uh, that's where I'm coming from. And uh, anyway, there's uh, all kinds of questions that can be raised here. But what I'm proving yeah. is that there are 6,000 years. And when I added this all up, uh, brother, here's what I've discovered. Okay, if there's 2,100, if there's, if there's 2,022 years since the birth of Christ, which I believe there are, people will contest this. I don't contest it. I, it, it is true. There's 2,022 years. In other words, 1 BC, 1 AD is when Jesus Christ was born. Okay. Mm. He was born in the spring. He was born on Passover and he was crucified on Passover. Okay. Now with that in mind and the 3,975 years on the other side of the calendar, if you would, from Christ, right. then you yeah. add 2022 and add 3,975 years, you're going to wind up about three years short of 2025 if you're yeah. in 2022. And so yeah. we're real close. Now, here's the question. The question is, is it, and I believe there's a, a futurity of the 70th week of Daniel. In other words, it is yet to come. I think we're on the brink. We're really close. I mean, we're really close. I don't think we're in the, the time of great tribulation. But if this is 6,000 years complete in 2025, then you begin the 70th week. You're going to wind up approximately because of the month situation, the third month or whatever of 2025. You're going to wind up in the year. 2033 yeah okay if it's seven years and it'll be the it'll be on a passover that it ends okay so that's basically the 70th week becomes a seven-year time frame that's added on to the six thousand years <laughs> can you follow me so mm -hmm. i've kind of done a fudgy wudgy on the time frames I mean, I, I began to see that this 70th week is so unique, and it's a, it's a time that it's, uh, it's attached. It's the seven times 70. It's a seven on its own, and it's, it's got its own week, period. And the 70th week of Daniel, 70 weeks of Daniel are broken up into, uh, you know, basically uh, the first seven weeks, the next 62 weeks, and then the final week. It has three separate parts, and each yeah. of those... Uh, dates are recorded in history, I believe, and uh, I've made room for that in my book. So I really got into the uh, Hebrew calendar, which becomes so significant, and Christians have completely gotten away from the Hebrew calendar. I mean, Merry Christmas to you too, but I've, I, 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 I live right next to a synagogue, and you know what I tell those guys over there? I go, hey, happy Hanukkah and victory over the Antichrist. And they go, what? And I go, yeah, that's why you guys have the Feast of Dedication. And that's why, you know, it's a defeat of Antiochus IV Epiphanius, the Greek guy that tried to Hellenize the Jews, and the Maccabeans rose up and put him down. And then they rededicated the temple, and they wound up with eight, eight days of lights. Then they only had oil for one day. And that's why that, you know, you have the light of the world there and everything. It's, it's one of the greatest types there is 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 yeah. is the feast of, and jesus showed up at the feast of dedication 
Yeah. How about that? He did, he did, and yeah. you know what he did? He declared himself as God in the temple of God. Who else does that? Satan. He's going to try to declare himself as God in the temple of God. So you have Christ and you have Antichrist. And this is the battle of the temple. And it's been raging for quite a long time. Right? And so when I go to the book of Haggai, okay, let me tell you something. That book of Haggai is two little chapters. And it tells it all. In chapter two, it says the it, it says in chapter two, verse nine, that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. And so was the second temple greater in glory than Solomon's temple? No. So mm -hmm. what's the greater glory? You're looking at it. Okay. We are his temple. He indwells us. And we it says clearly in Ephesians chapter two, we are the temple of the living God. <laughs> wow you know this is like already does that mean that we give up on an earthly temple no there's still a battle for the temple but we are the greater temple we are the greater house okay we are the the much greater than the former temple okay it's expanded it's overflowing now if you go to Haggai chapter 2 it says three special times in the ninth month and the 24th day of the month. You got to realize Haggai was written over 300 years before the first feast of dedication ever took place under the Maccabean revolt yeah, in wild. 64. So they celebrated the feast of dedication in the ninth month, Kislev, on the 24th day of the month, the 24th, 25th. Okay, what? You mean there are three separate mentionings in the book of Haggai of the ninth month and the 24th day of the month? From this day forward, I will bless you. What? At the Feast of Dedication, prophesied over 300 years before it ever happened? Yes. Wow. Isn't that a big wow? Go to Haggai too and blow your mind. And why does he keep repeating on the 24th day of the ninth month, the 24th day of the ninth? So what happens on the first 24th day of the ninth month? The dedication, the feast of dedication, which is not a part of the seven major feast days of the Modim, but it's its own. But Jesus showed up at the feast of dedication and declared himself. And did the Jewish authorities not know what he was doing? No, you know what they said? Will you blaspheme, Jesus? You being a mere man, make yourself equal with God? He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, he came across those crazy verses that we can never figure out. Didn't I tell you that you guys were sons of God? <laughs> yeah, right. That you are gods, right? And then mm -hmm. everybody goes, oh, there's Joseph Smith. Look out, here come the Mormons. No. He says, you are made in the image of God. I made you to have fellowship with me. Mm. That's why, if you want to call that a divine spark, if you want to call that a human spirit, I believe it's a human spirit. I believe that human spirit was made for the spirit of God because that which is born of the spirit of God is spirit, the human spirit. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've got to be born again in your spirit. And then you'll see. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
that's that's the new birth okay now why am i bringing this up it's because of the fact that the 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 abode for god's spirit is the human spirit but satan entered into judas iscariot where did he go it says in luke he entered into judas iscariot well he's kind of in his mind okay no satan was in there he entered in and deadened the spirit of judas mm. just completely made it uh desolate that mm. is an abomination of desolation as well mm. when you desecrate the human spirit mm. that is a biggie okay and 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 uh that's what the beast is planning on doing is desecrating mm. the human spirit so when satan stands in the temple in second thessalonians chapter two declaring himself as god in the temple of god there's two words for temple one is Heron, and the other one is naos and you better know the difference because this he spake concerning the temple of his body so the external temple is 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 one greek word and the internal temple of his body is a completely different greek word okay so when he entered into judas iscariot satan okay he entered into his body where did he go i'm saying that he is a spirit and consequently he deadened the spirit of judas and then in the book of thessalonians it says that he will uh stand in the temple and that word temple there is the temple of a person's body interestingly hmm. enough it's the same <laughs> word jesus used when he described the temple of his body hmm. they said look at this thing's been uh this temple uh you say that you're going to destroy this temple and in three days you're going to raise it up okay but this temple was like over 40 years in the making and you're going to just build it up in one day three days this yeah. is crazy right so either jesus was crazy or he was telling them something else that they couldn't communicate with <laughs> And I believe they, they couldn't communicate on his level. Yeah, not for sure. The temple of his body. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's a need to hear there, but it's all over the map. So you can pick and choose whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got all this well, controversies raging and everybody's going to look at this thing and going, this guy is either a complete nut or he's really got something on the ball. <laughs> um, let me, uh, I was planning on showing this, uh, this chart. So let me, let me go ahead and this was, I kind of felt like this summed up a, a lot. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can see that. Um, there's no way for me to make this. It's kind of, I don't know if that's going to cover up in the recording or not, but anyway, um, you sort of described, described this. And so you're here, you have your 6,000 years that goes up to, to, you know, 2025. And, you know, originally you thought that this was going to be the a, a tribulational period yeah. leading, leading up right here. You thought that was the seventh week. Now you're pushing that yeah. past 2025. Okay. So that was a question of mine. Cause, cause that, that would mean we're basically we're in, we've been in and we're, we're about to say, so, so you've changed your thinking on that. Um, yeah. Well, I've changed my thinking on it for two reasons. One is the fact that I really like the 2033 date. It's very concise. Mathematics is very, very, very concise and also the fact that uh uh it does it doesn't change the 3975 bc because mathematically chronologically that's very constant uh all these 490 year time frames you're looking at 
uh, from Shem is born to Isaac is born, from Isaac's birth to the Exodus, uh, from the Exodus to Solomon's temple, 490 years. These are epical jubilee cycles. Mm -hmm. The short count jubilee cycle is 49 years, okay? Right. The times 10 is what is called an epical jubilee cycle. These are the five generations spoken of in Genesis 15, 16. And when we look at that uh, Solomon's temple to the Persian decrees, from the Persian <laughs> decrees to Messiah the Prince, um, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And then the 1,558 years between Adam's creation and uh, the uh, birth of Shem, Noah's son, Shem. By the way, did you know that uh, Shem is considered the uh, father of China? That's I've heard that before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Very interesting, huh? So any questions on this? By the way, there's 12 sets of 490 years, which I find fascinating, then add 120. So... 12 times 490 is going to give you 5,880 years plus the 120 years of Moses's life will mm. bring you up to 6,000 years. Wow. And 6,000 years times 360 days in a prophetic year will give you 2,000, 2,160,000 days. Mm. Now that's fascinating for many reasons because the Hebrew sacred cubit in inches is 2520. <laughs> so 2,520,000 2, days is a fractal of the Hebrew sacred cubit in, mm. in, in, uh, in inches, 25.20 inches. Wow. Okay. Now, but multiply these days by 24 hours and you're going to get 60 million in 6,000 years. Okay. If it's 360 days in a prophetic year all the way through. But you're going to get sixty million four hundred and eighty thousand hours. Well, six oh four eight oh divided by two, the morning and the evening, you're going to wind up with three oh two four, which is the yeah, end. Talking of the about before again, okay. And so, I mean, the whole thing is amazing. Yeah, it's nuts. And, uh, of course, you saw my work on the Great Pyramid of Giza and a few other places in the book. And, I did, uh, yes. And I find it absolutely astonishing that the edge of the Great Pyramid of Giza, as measure, measured by the famed metrologist Sir William Flinders Petrie, uh, to be precisely 756 feet, linear feet, divided by 2.1 feet, will give you 360 Hebrew sacred cubits. And 360 times four Hebrew sacred cubits, right? Okay, we'll give you exactly 1,440. Mm. <laughs> 1,440 cubits around the base of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Who built Giza's pyramid? <laughs> I believe the sons yeah. of Shem did. And isn't yeah, it interesting Shem. that by using the Hebrew sacred cubit of 2.1 feet, that each side of the base of the Great Pyramid is precisely 360 as in degrees in a circle representing the eternal god without beginning or ending times four with creation four is creation will give you 1440 which is all over the new jerusalem so who built giza <laughs> oh i know who did it 
the ancient alien theorists have told us who did it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know beans about Giza <laughs> when it comes to measurement. That's the whole thing. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. For me, it's always part of the reason why I, I sort of lean towards New Jerusalem being pyramid is because of Giza and its measurements. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that you you favor a, a cube over the, over the pyramid. But I love the pyramid though, because yeah. it's the Mount of the Lord. Oh, by the way, the pyramid volume is one third of that of a cube. <laughs> so mm. you basically get a third, a third, a third, right? And don't forget, mm. one third survived, go through the fire, right? Mm. And two thirds perish, and you get the mountain of the Lord. So I look at it as multi-dimensional. Okay. It's multi-dimensional. Yeah. It is both sure. a pyramid and a cube. Okay? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And by works. the way, I, I I have a whole thing in the in the book about how to square the uh, uh, the circle. You know, that's it's a very Masonic looking, right? But I've done it. I have squared the circle. Okay. In other words, the base is three thousand twenty-four linear feet of the Great Pyramid. 3,024. 3,024 just happens to be the wall of New Jerusalem, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. 3,024, right? Okay, so you take this 3,024, and then you take what's above and what's below. So it's 489, I think it's 0. 0.9 uh, inches, 489 feet uh, to the top if you put a pyramidium on top of the Great Pyramid. And then you do the same for what's above is below. Okay, then you draw a circle around that up and down pyramid all the way around okay because you can draw a circle and then you know what the diameter is because the diameter is this 756 feet okay all you have to do is go pi d and pi d will give you you know the circumference which turns out to be you know 3024 which (laughs) blows everybody's mind (laughs) so the square of the base of the pyramid is the circumference because you got the right height the precise height is mm-hmm. so i have charts in there too on that yeah yeah that's uh, wild it's, uh, it's I not, ask and, and i and i take this from isaiah 19 okay there will be on that day an altar unto the lord at the giza or the border of egypt mm-hmm. so at giza there's this altar there never was a pyramidium uh, there was never a capstone at the top of that that was an altar. They say, well, mm-hmm. the capstone was taken off. It's pyramidium. We've got examples of that in Egypt at museums and what have we, right? But the pyramidium on top of the Great Pyramid of Giza never was. It always was an altar. Uh, and it was designed to reflect a monument as unto the Lord. Anyway, uh, and all I'm using are the mathematical calculations to do that. All right. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not doing the ancient alien theorist thing and all that other stuff. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. you know, I've heard the, the, the cornerstone, that being a reference to, to the capstone for the pyramid. Yeah. You know, being, mm-hmm. being both, both a corner and a cap. And a capstone. Right. Yeah, That's the multidimensional aspect of the New Jerusalem. By the way, it's really interesting. Let me ask you this question, bro, is that uh, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, Uh, You're going to see this thing called the Holy District that Ezekiel saw. Now, in the Holy District in chapter 48, he saw a holy city that was 4,500 cubits. It could be the gate. It could be the edge. But it's just given 4,500 
4,500, 4,500, 4,500 around the base of this holy city, which turns out to be 18,000 cubits, four times 4,500. Now, if you look at the New Jerusalem as a cube, you're going to find out that each of its edges is 1,500 miles times 12 will give you exact 12 edges, four on the top, four going down, and four on the base, right, of any box, any cube. Yeah. It's going to have 12 edges. Those edges are critical, okay? So if you, if you take each of the edges and you multiply it, it you find out that a, a 12,000 furlongs is equal to 7,920,000 linear feet. Wikipedia even is accurate on that. That is, that a furlong is equal to 660 feet, 12,000 of those furlongs. By the way, that's your measurement and mine. We better get used to what the bride's measurements are. Mm -hmm. And it turns out it's 7,920,000 miles, which just happens to be a fractal of the Earth's diameter at 7,920 miles. Okay. Mm -hmm which is you know, the mean, the mean mm -hmm. diameter of the earth. That's why the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He is the 7920. Okay, so we're looking at this 7920. And that becomes really an amazing heavenly vision. But the 7920 versus the 756. So 796 versus 756 of the Giza pyramid. Now, 756 from 792 happens to be 36, okay? 306, actually, 36. So this is the difference, the 36. So the question is this, are there two holy cities, one on the earth and one coming down from heaven? Are there two new covenants, one for the Jews and one for the Christians? Are there two brides, the wife of Jehovah and the bride of Christ? This, this system of duality is greatly misunderstood. And the reason is because we can compartmentalize what earth is and what heaven is. But when Nathaniel, uh, Jesus saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, and he said, you mean you saw me under a fig tree? Man, you must, be, uh, you must be the Christ, the son of the living God, the king of Israel. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus said, you're going to see greater things than this, Nathaniel, John chapter 1. You're going to see the heavens open and the angels ascending and descending on the son of man. Greater mm -hmm. things, Nathaniel. So what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about Jacob's vision of Jacob's ladder extending right. from earth to heaven yeah what i'm getting at is multi-dimensionalism there is the earth that he made and he said it was good he loves the material the manifestation the creation by him were all things created that's why he wants to have a renewed heaven and a renewed earth right so what he made he made the earth so what you see in the book of Ezekiel is a heavenly uh, manifestation of an earthly reality <laughs> or an earthly reality, which is heavenly manifested. 
Okay, so on the one hand, you see the new Jerusalem holy city. And then on the other hand, you see on earth, the holy city in Ezekiel. One is on the earth, the other is in the heaven. And who bridges the heaven and the earth? That is the son of man, yeah. our Lord Jesus Christ. He <laughs> links heaven and earth and earth and heaven. So he comes down as the son of God. You are the son of God. You're right, Nathaniel. I am the son of God. And by the way, you're accurate, Nathaniel, when you said, I am the king of Israel. I never denied that. King of Israel is to the earth. Son of God is to the heavens. So he brought God to man and man into God, if you would. Right. He is Jacob's ladder. The angels are ascending and descending on the son of man. Yeah. Now that's even more important because he became a man and then was glorified as a man. Now he had glory because he always was the son. Can't have an everlasting father unless you have an everlasting son. Okay. And so what has happened is that he's taken these two dimensions, these two holy cities, and made them one. But you've got to think in string theory. <laughs> you got yeah. to think multidimensionally speaking as a cube and as a pyramid, <laughs> as expression upon the earth and as an expression coming from the heavens. Mm. That's really a great vision. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so wild. That is so wild. Isn't that pretty wild? That yeah. is really wild, brother. <laughs> and so when he says, hey, you're going to do greater things, what are you talking about? I'm going to do greater things. Nathaniel, I'm linking heaven and earth together. There's only one holy city. There's only one bride of Messiah. There's only one new covenant, period. Yeah. And, and so, so what is going on here? It's it's just, hey, hey, we we can't think multidimensionally. You know, the closest thing I can come to it. Have you ever seen those little uh, drawings where you're looking at this thing and, and all of a sudden your eyes, oh man, I see these dinosaurs running around in there. And, and you kind of like stare at yeah, it. Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. You ever see those? I, I always go over there and look at those things because I think, you know, it's just like the heavens and the earth. It's multidimensional. I got to keep looking at it. And all of a sudden I'll see the whale. <laughs> right. There's the yeah. whale. And yeah. I have to ask people, do you see the whale? No, I don't see. It. I see just dots. That's what's yeah. happening to us. We just say, ah, I just see the New Jerusalem. Ah, I just see, well, this thing for the Jews on the earth. I don't know what's going on there, you know, something like that. And all of a sudden it's together. And there's one holy city. Yeah. There's one bride. Can you imagine? We're having that the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? And we're the bride of Christ. And all of a sudden this other gal shows up. And, 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 and the question is, well, who's she? Well, she's the wife of Jehovah. <laughs> i mean how many gods do we have okay well here's the thing about the trinity okay the trinity's in eternal fellowship we are being brought into the fellowship and love that is shared within the godhead the triune god god is he is inseparably one and yet he's distinctively three <laughs> just you know how do you do this well when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you look at the face in the mirror and you're not looking too hot and you say how are we doing today and the voice in the mirror says uh, not too bad how are you right but you still haven't lost it until you two guys hear the third voice saying what are you two guys talking about <laughs> right that's when you know you lost it okay <laughs> 
it's a very poor example of the try you got. But what I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying is we don't know how to fellowship, but guess what? There's an eternal fellowship that the father has with the son. We don't even know how to love as Jesus loved, but guess what? There's been an eternal love between the father, the son, and the spirit. This is an eternal fellowship and that we've been called to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, some people misread that, but that word partaker there is koinonia. You've been called into the fellowship of the triune God. I mean, come on now. That's fellowship. <laughs> we don't know really how to fellowship, but we brought into their fellowship. That's what makes Christianity totally unique. We're totally unique. Yeah. And we're unique in so many ways. And I, I just love the earth and I love the heavens and I love the bridge between them more, more than anything. <laughs> yeah. So I'm following. I'm, I'm following here that, uh, you know, that there's a, a higher dimension. We see New Jerusalem, that higher dimension is now, we see it descending, right? And there's a new, yes. heaven, new earth. So we see now Prepared we're no longer bride. in, in yeah. that lower dimension. Uh, and yeah. you mentioned um, us being the bride of Christ. Now, who, who's the bride of Jehovah then? What, yeah. what are you well, referring to? Well, a lot of people think the bride of Jehovah are the Jews only. Right. But I got right. news for you. We're Ephraim. Now, whoa, wait, hang on. What do you mean we're Ephraim? The, you know, God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a multitude of nations. Then mm -hmm. he told that to Isaac. I'm going to make you a multitude of nations. Then he went over to Ephraim who was the younger of the uh, twin set of Manasseh and Ephraim of Joseph's yeah. kids yeah. and gave them, you know, did the hand thing, you know, where he crossed one hand over the other and Jacob was blessing him and he blessed Ephraim. And he said to Ephraim, you're going to be a multitude of nations. I will make you a multitude of nations. Now that phrase multitude in Hebrew is the same word that is translated fullness and nations, or ethnos in the Greek, in Hebrew is goyim, or the goy, okay, or the nations. I will make you a multi, or Gentiles. It's also translated the word Gentile in uh, Hebrew. So I'm going to make you the fullness wow. of the Gentiles. Gentiles. Now, who said that? Jesus. Louise. Okay, that was said by Paul. Yeah, holy cow. Yeah, he said, he said, I'm going to what I, I'm waiting for the fullness of the mm -hmm. Gentiles, a multitude of nations is going to come in. Now, when did that happen? Well, what happened to the original Ephraim, by the way, who's what does Ephraim mean? It means overflowing. Something is overflowing through Ephraim. Now, when they went into the good land, there were two spies who made it in. Who were they? One was Caleb of the tribe of Judah, and the other one was Yahshua, Joshua of the tribe of Ephraim. They, one guy represented the 10 northern tribes, as it turned out, and the other guy represented Judah, the two tribes of the south, Caleb and Joshua. Okay, Initially, the Ark of the Covenant was set up in Ephraim, in Shiloh, where Joshua, Joshua, uh, settled in his inheritance, okay, <laughs> and just north of Benjamin, and Benjamin, then you have Judah, and Benjamin and Judah are always together, okay, 
Now, the interesting thing here is that God, uh, at the breach of Jeroboam, these, by the way, this 10 and 2 thing of the 12 tribes was always there, almost from the beginning, okay? And so the 10 tribes of the north, two tribes of the south, and eventually they warred, they fought each other. And at the breach of Jeroboam, when Rehoboam and Jeroboam were kings, Rehoboam, you know, took Judah and Jeroboam took the 10 tribes of the north. And for several hundred years, they had all these evil kings, 19 of them. They were all evil, the 10 tribes of the north, beginning with Jeroboam. But he had a yoke and the yoke, he said, we're not going to handle this yoke thing that you're trying to put on us that Solomon, your father did. Because what you did was that you put this yoke on us of taxation without representation, sounds familiar, and mm -hmm. labor exploitation. And we're not in it. You guys are going to lay this on us again, and we're going to rebel. And by the way, it was divinely orchestrated. The prophet came in and tore up the, the, the garment and said, you get 10 pieces, and the other guy gets two. And that's the way it's going to be. Okay. And then off Jeroboam went into idolatry. That was his choice. Okay. And he set up phony uh, worship centers and cattle, cows, and the whole thing. Okay. Then eventually the Assyrians came down and God said in Jeremiah chapter three, I have given Ephraim, I've given Israel of the North a writ of divorce. I have had it with your adulteries and I am divorcing yet, according to Hosea, I'm married to you forever, <laughs> but I've had it with you, but I'm giving you a writ of divorce, but your sister, who's more treacherous than you, Judah, I am not going to divorce her because the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The kingship remains with Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. Okay. So the 10 tribes get carted off over a period, incidentally, of about 33 years, which I find kind of interesting. So they get carted off throughout the entire Assyrian Empire, which stretched all over North Africa, all the way down to Ethiopia, Turkey, all the way to India. It was massive, okay, the Assyrian Empire. And off went the Israelites, Ephraim, Samaria, Jezreel, all the same name for these 10 tribes. So they were scattered abroad. In fact, if you go to Hosea chapter 8, it says Ephraim is swallowed up of the Gentiles, of the nations, and is no more. Now, what is it about no more that we don't understand? It is no more. But where is it? It's no more, but it's among the nations. It's swallowed up. By the word, the word swallowed up is the same word used for Jonah when he was swallowed up by the, the great fish. Okay, so then you get to the book of Acts, chapter 15. And you know what it says there? <laughs> this is really great verse. It says, it says, you want to know what's going on? James gets up and says, let me summarize this. This is exactly what the prophet said was going to happen about the incursion of the nations into the assembly, into the ecclesia. What's going on? They don't have to be circumcised as we Jews are, but they can come in because Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12 has said, it's very clear. You read Amos 9, 
11 and 12. It is recorded in Acts. It said, I will come again and I will raise up, I will restore the tabernacle of David so that the rest of mankind might believe even all the Gentiles. Now, what's going on here is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. Now, I have a lot of Christians out there telling me, some theologians, by the way, who are saying, oh, this is going to happen in the sweet by and by. No, it's not. What was James doing? He said, you want to know what's going on? Now, right now, what's being fulfilled is what is being recorded in Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. And that says, I'm going to restore the tabernacle of David. What's the tabernacle of David? It's called the booth or the tent. And you know what it is, brother? That is the United Kingdom of David, where all 12 tribes are under David. And he is, he is restoring that right then and there. Hmm. That's a mouthful. You'll have to theologically burn your brain with that one. But you know, that's exactly what it says. It's not the sweet by and by. It's in the here and now. You want to know what's going on? That is what's happening. He's going to raise up the tabernacle. And then you know what it says? That the rest of mankind, and you won't find the word mankind in Amos in the Hebrew scriptures. You know what you find there? It says, <laughs> it's so that the rest of Edom, Edom is Esau. Okay. Yeah. Edom is also Adam. Okay. Mankind. Okay. So, but it uses Edom that Edom is going to come in and that's reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. When Esau embraced him, he said, Jacob said, I looked in your face, Esau, and I saw the face of God. Yeah. I saw the face of God, man. Have you ever seen the face of God in your brother? You got a problem with him. <laughs> Try that one out for size. That's another whole mind bender. But the thing of it is, is that Edom, so you remember the Ark of the Covenant, brother, and they, they were moving the Ark of the Covenant around from the yeah. Philistines, and then they yeah. had a problem. The guys in the Philistines had a problem. They had to get rid of this Ark. We were having issues. Okay, so up with the Ark, and Asa, uh, Yusa, Yusa uh, tried to hold it up with his hand, and he got he, the, the Lord struck him down. Where did the Ark go for a while, for 90 days? Someone's house. I can't remember the name. Yeah, the guy's house. It was named, his name was Obed-Edom which means yeah. the servant of Esau, the servant of Edom. And for 90 days, God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Now, he had a house. He had 68 Edomites in there. We know that. And plus he had another hangout guy that made 70. There were 70 Edomites. The question is this, whatever happened to Obed-Edom who was blessed off his socks? As the ark and David went dancing up to the tabernacle of David. Everybody's dancing, having a good time, right? And so Edom's yeah. watching them and he's waving goodbye. No, he didn't do that. You know what happened to Obed-Edom and his servants? Read Chronicles. They all wound up joining the Levites and they became the gatekeepers in the tabernacle of David and cleansing the vessels and singers and musicians. They all joined in the tabernacle of David that was wide open. How about those Edomites? <laughs> So those Edomites, so that the rest of Edom might believe. There's the types and the shadows. 
and it's really solid theology. Really, wow. really solid. What do you think of that? That's pretty wild. Yeah. Hmm. And so we're waiting for the fullness of the Ephraim. Now, here's another one. Go to John chapter 11, verses 49 through 52, and blow your mind. Remember Caiaphas, the high priest? He gets up there and he goes, you guys don't know nothing. Okay? He says, it's expedient that one man die for the people, rather for the nation, rather that we all go down. Remember he said yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. So you know what John did? He turned the lemon into lemonade. <laughs> he said, he prophesied, okay, that not for that nation only, read those passages, not for that nation only would Jesus die, but meaning for other nations, and yeah. that he would gather together the children of God, whoever believes on his name is a child of God, First uh, John chapter 1 verse 12, as many as received him, that then give you authority to become the children of God, okay, to gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad and make them one. The NIV's got some good stuff in there too. <laughs> make them one. I'm into collecting everybody together and making them one. Making Judah one with all the rest of the children of God. To make of the two one new man, so making peace. That, my dear brother, is solid theology, gathering the children of God. So what is the gospel? You say the gospel is that Christ died for your sins. That's true. One man should die for the people. But guess what? He wants to make them one. <laughs> That's the gospel, the full gospel. The full gospel is that Christ died for your sins and that he is out to make you one with your brothers. Now, when Peter had a problem. Paul was stood him to his face in Galatians chapters one and two. And he said, Peter, you're not living by the faith of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that you Jews and Gentiles should be eating together to express the one new man. So making peace. Yeah. Well, I like hanging out with the Pentecostals. I like hanging out with the Baptists. I like hanging out with anybody uh, who uh, I like. Right. Okay, but Jesus says, hey, you got to hang out with people that don't eat the same way you do. And Barnabas got caught up in the hypocrisy. And he went yeah. over there with the Judaizers, and they were all sitting over here, you know, uh, you know, eating kosher. And Peter got caught up in it. Imagine Peter was not living by the truth of the gospel. Yeah, it's crazy. So what is the gospel? Is the question. Christ died for your sins, but he made you one with people who are very hostile to you. Wow, that's heavy. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm blowing everybody's circuit here. But, but that is the full gospel. I, one, time, one time I told Dima Shikarian, you wrote the book, The Happiest People on Earth. Do, why are they so happy? Because they're willing to fellowship with all kinds of brothers and sisters because they've been made one in Christ. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm still going back to my, my original question about the, uh, the, the bride of Jehovah. Okay. Um, I'm still confused on that. Well, here's the question. Let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say that you believe in, in a pre-trib rapture. I'm not saying you do or you don't, but mm -hmm. I know that Doug Woodward still is hanging on to that theory. 
by the way, that doctrine didn't save anybody either, either, either neither did post-trib. <laughs> okay. But what I am saying is this, if you are born again by the spirit of God, you're born into a community of believers. He's preparing the bride of Christ. Now, if the church leaves and every born again believer leaves with it, okay, in a pre-trib rapture, and then the next seven years, uh, people are going to be saved. The Holy Spirit didn't leave. God is everywhere. But into what redeemed community are these so-called tribulation saints brought into? They're not brought into the bride because she's gone. Are they added later on to the bride? Maybe uh, that's a possibility. I don't know. But they have to have a redeemed community. And, and I don't see that redeemed community being anything else but the bride. They're saved by the blood of Jesus. That's the only blood that can save anybody. And they're, can, they, can, they can't see the kingdom of God unless they're born from above. And that can only happen by the spirit of the living God. So where do these people go? And what into what community are they born? They're just sort of out there. And I don't believe that's the case at all. So you got to think clearly about that. You have the bride of Christ. And how many brides are there? Well, the bride of Christ did not start until Pentecost. Well, then where did all these other Old Testament saints go? Well, they went into Abraham's bosom. And then they're kind of like in a holding pattern. And eventually they're going to be married to Jehovah. <laughs> you know? So I just want to disabuse anybody who's listening to this program. My God is not a polygamist. <laughs> okay. He's okay, so got one eyes for one bride, period. Okay, I got you. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I, I was confused on uh, something you said, so I'm glad that you made that clear. Um, cool. Hmm. So I so I want to go back to the, the 120 years uh for man. You you're seeing yeah. that as 120 uh jubilees, 49 years per jubilee. Yeah, I'm seeing that as 120 years as the age of Moses when he died. Mm, mm, okay. okay. Now, I'm also seeing that 120 as, uh, which is kind of interesting, uh, if you multiply, you know, uh, uh, 49 years times 10, there are 12 sets of these epical jubilee cycles, 12 times 490 years. Jesus said, forgive that seven times 70. It's interesting to note that when you multiply 12 sets of 490, you're going to get exactly 5,880 years plus 120. Mm, okay. 6,000. Can you follow okay, that? I'm following. I'm following. Yeah. Wow. It's very fascinating. Wow. Very, very. That is. That is. Okay. It's amazing. And, so you and Jesus to said, forgive them seven times 70. And then, the, then you have the Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Okay, so these guys go back to build the second temple. And they get a little frustrated. And they got all these guys that say, let us help you. Then, and they're just distracting him. So how long did it take to build the second temple when the Jews went back? Does anybody ever know? It took exactly, according to the chronology, exactly 49 years 21 of those 49 years which is the fractal of the hebrew sacred cubit was actually in building the second temple 
The 28 years was frustration. They never yeah. got any building done. Yeah, so, so when the decree was made by Cyrus in uh, 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 537 uh, BC, it took them 49 years to erect this. That would have brought them to approximately 488 uh, BC. And then there was a gap after the first 49 years, there was a gap of 88 years. And then there were 62 weeks between uh, that gap, the second gap, and the uh, entry into Jerusalem. And there's been a gap of almost 2,200 plus years, uh, 21 uh, uh, some odd years, 2,020 plus years since the uh, uh, birth of Christ. And that's another gap. Okay, so yeah. we have all these gaps. Three, uh, we have basically uh, these two major gaps. Now, the thing of it is, is have you ever seen the universal lampstand of Zechariah chapter four? It was shaped like a menorah, but not like a regular menorah. It was shaped like a gigantic merry-go-round. And there were seven lamps surrounding it, seven lamps surrounding this giant merry-go-round. And there were seven conduits from a bowl each seven to this lamp, 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 seven sevens. Seven times seven is what? 49. That just goes to show you that God's a 49er. No, it doesn't. It says very clearly that, that this is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, right? So, so he is the 49. He is the year of Jubilee. And then when you get to the book of Revelation, who do you see in the midst of the seven golden lampstands? One like unto the son of man. So who's the bull? The bull is the prophet. The two that are anointed ones that stand on either side are like olive trees, two olive trees. If you look at the national logo of Israel, you'll see two olive trees, okay? And then the middle, you'll see a menorah. Very interesting. Okay, and so what you have here is you've got the uh, priesthood, Yahshua, the high priest. You've got the kingship or the governor, uh, Zerubbabel. So you have the kingship and you have the priesthood. And then in the middle, you have this bowl. And out of this bowl, the, they drop their golden oil into the bowl. And out from the bowl, the seven lamps are burning eternally. And the bowl is representative of the son of man in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. What mm -hmm. a picture. It's great. Wow. Seven yeah, pictures. Wow, it's incredible. Isn't that beautiful? Now, here's the beautiful thing. Really about it. That's 49, 49 lamps, right? 49 lamps. Took them 49 years, but God's into that 49. So that's another thing I see. And, and you yeah. know what? It's amazing that when you see that, that it says in Zechariah 6, it says, crown not Zerubbabel as king, but crown Yeshua, the high priest as king. Okay. And he will bear this elaborate crown. Actually, it's a braided silver and gold crown that's braided like three braids around the, this crown on his head. And in the mm -hmm. middle is a signet with the name of Yahweh. 
and it was put into the temple on a ledge as a memorial. It's a memorial. And it says, his name shall be Branch, for he will branch out. He will overflow. <laughs> this is the, I am the vine, you are the branches. This, so who bears the triple crown? When you get to the book of Revelation, it says, crown him with many crowns. He has many crowns. I'll tell you how many crowns he has. He has one with three braids on it. He holds the triple crown. He wins. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. That's the triple crown. Isn't that great? Yeah. And so we, awesome. we, we have such a one, right? This is, yeah. a, this is really a glorious picture of the 49. That's the yeah. number 49. I've got a couple more questions for you. One more on um, kind of this topic, and then we'll do like, uh, like one, one more for fun to kind of close up. Okay. Uh, but uh, I, I'm curious to, to, to know, I was going to ask you this beforehand, before I realized that um, you, you kind of looking at the 70th week being, you know, starting in, in 2025, because that is the essentially the same sort of chronology that, uh, you know, Josh Peck, um, over at Skywatch, yeah, and you know, Ben Johnson and, and, and Tom Horn. Uh, he wrote. He wrote. Yeah, they the got book, the, uh, They got that from me. <laughs> really, really. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, how could they not get it from me? No, yeah. they, they, they're, well, they're getting it from the from the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, that's where they're. Uh, you know, you know. But that that's that's a that's confirmation. I mean, it's amazing that that yeah. two people would come to these kind of conclusions completely apart from one although i know tom horn i've done some work with him in the past and also josh peck and i are friends so yeah i don't know who's influencing who but i never, i didn't get my stuff from the dead sea scrolls and the and, and the book of jubilee i didn't get i didn't get from that yeah yeah that, that, that's where they they kind of looked at the essene calendar and they've come up yeah. with that date of 2025 for the start so uh, it's interesting yeah it's very interesting y'all came up with the same sort of thing um hmm, okay so that, but that, that is, uh, um, that's very insightful. Of course it would be insightful because it's the same year that I forecasted. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, the thing about, oh, grief, you know, that's a big no, no to set dates, you know, Hey, and I, you know what I tell people, Hey, come on, you know, you guys are sitting out there, uh, you know, having this, uh, you know, this fetish of throwing rocks at people who set dates. I'm not setting a date, but I am doing this. Okay, and I've got a scripture for it. And you tell me what you think of this verse, brother. And uh, I think I'm within range. And, and in fact, I think very clearly that I'm within range, you know. And, and uh, this is, you know, now concerning this salvation, this is in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out oh no you can't try to find out that's a big no-no okay trying to find out what the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of christ in them was pointing <laughs> there you go that's a mind bender what was the spirit of christ doing in these ancient prophets well we haven't even had the crucifixion yet we haven't even had pentecost and yet the spirit of christ is in these prophets of course pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Unto him be glory in 
the ecclesia. Now, don't you think that the prophets were prophesying? Uh, they were looking for the uh, diligently, intently looking for when the Messiah was going to come and about his suffering yeah, and sure. about the glories that would follow. Yeah. And they were doing this diligently and they were reaching, searching back and forth through the word of God. Hey, read uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse four in the amplified version. And it says in the latter times, men will be anxiously searching to and fro throughout the book and knowledge of the prophetic will increase and become great. That's the time in which we're living. <laughs> I got yeah, to get a smile out of you sooner or later. So, hey, I'm just telling everybody, I'm not talking about computers. I'm talking about the knowledge of the prophetic will increase mm. and become great. When? In the latter days, it says. Ooh, yeah. oh, oh. Are we yeah. living in the latter days? I think so. Oh boy. Um, well, I, I, let me just ask for the listener that's that's skeptical because despite uh, you know what what you've read and the amount uh, of other verses that, that point towards um, you know prophecy and, and seeking out um, and and even prophecies like like Daniel seventy week where we have actual days that are that are numbered. Um, yeah. Everyone kind of points to um, the Alva Discourse. No man knows the day of the hour. How do you how do you interpret that? That's a great question. I love smashing people over this question in a nice yeah. way. Okay, and here's what I'm going to say. In Matthew 24, it says, "No man knows the day or the hour." Okay, uh, but the Father. Okay, it doesn't say the Son. Okay, by the way, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes it says the Son. Sometimes it says the Father. But it says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the ark, until the flood overtook them, basically. Okay. And then it says something very interesting. It said, if the master of the house, that's the temple guard, would have known at which hour the thief, they called him the thief. This guy was just checking up to see if this guy was awake because he's guarding the temple mm -hmm. and somebody's going to break into this thing and you're asleep. Uh -uh -uh. You're in big trouble. You know what they would do with this guy if they found him sleeping and not watching? They would tar and feather him and strip him naked. And man, he was beaten. Okay. Mm -hmm. You don't want to find, find yourself sleeping when the temple, when the thief comes around. So if he would have known what hour he was coming, he'd have been ready. Now, here's yeah. the deal. You are, as in the days of Noah, it wasn't that they didn't know. I mean, they saw this boat being finished, right? This gigantic vessel. Sure. It, they didn't care. They were just going about their business. I'm too busy for this. Well, we got Nephilim running around here and the sons of God and the children. I mean, you know, they, that wasn't the issue. The issue was they were just, they didn't give a hoot and a holler about what Noah was doing. Yeah. So it's this carelessness, this stupidity that you're going to fall asleep and the temple guard's going to come around and the, they called him the thief. And you know what Jesus said in the book of Revelation? 
just before the Battle of Armageddon, I come as a thief. Hmm. <laughs> You're not ready. Peace, peace, then comes sudden destruction. Why does he come as a thief? He is that temple guard. He's coming around. And it'll be just like in the days of Noah. Now, I'm not sure exactly when the watch will be, but it'll be coming. It's the watch. And the watch will show up at least one time, if not <laughs> twice. And if it catches you asleep, you're going down. Okay, so what we're saying in Matthew is not that no man knows the day or the hour. They didn't care about knowing the day or the hour. But we diligently search. See, there's a difference. The prophets were searching for his suffering. When is going to be the crucifixion? When will be the glories that will follow? Isn't that amazing? That's Peter. So yeah. if, we're, if you go out and condemn anybody, because yeah. they're searching through the prophetic scriptures. I mean, I've got a lot of good Seventh-day Adventist friends that I think are off the chart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But hey, praise God, they are at least searching. Now, yeah. I don't know how diligently they are, but I mean, they're searching. I, my Baptist friends, they're searching. I, I've got post-trip guys. I got preterists are searching. You know, finally, I decided, why are there three distinct 924 days? Kislev, 24. Three times mentioned in Haggai chapter two. Why? Because the first abomination of desolation was under the Maccabeans. Read it. It's there. Then the second abomination of desolation, the second 924, was Titus destroyed the temple. That's the second abomination of desolation. And they fled from Jerusalem and went up to the hills. They believed it was the abomination of desolation. And the third abomination of desolation, the third 924, is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when he will declare himself as God in the temple of God. And then all the verses in Revelation chapter 12 and 13 will come to pass and the ultimate judgment of Babylon the Great. I, I in my case, your honor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. Okay. Well, that's a good all, note in other words, all the above are correct. Yeah, no, I like that. It's the, um, so my, my praetorist friends go, oh, so you agree with us? I said, yeah, and I agree with the, a Dallas seminary that said that uh, you know the, the abomination of desolation was fulfilled by the Maccabean revolt, blah, blah, blah. And then I believe my praetorist, blah, blah, blah. And I believe the futurists who believe that the abomination of desolation is yet to come. All of the above are correct. Yeah. Let's get it yeah. on. I, I, I love that because it's, you know, you, you can't look at, you know, all that research the predators put together. It, it, it sounds like it is what it is. Um, and yeah. same thing with the futurists. It sounds like it's not quite um, completely fulfilled. So um, I'm right there with you. Um, so is this, is this not a weird Christian podcast or what? <laughs> we, we really gotten into it today. Um, I, I appreciate it. The last time I was on, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Gon Shimura. He's got this thing called Canary Cry. Have you heard of Canary Cry? Yes. Yeah. It, I've, I've listened, yeah. And, and the guy said, where did you find this nut job? And I go, hey, you know, I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, I have to figure out how to title this. But uh, yeah. I always close with a with with fun question. So um, if you could visit, uh, if you could be a spectator, uh, yeah. any event in the Bible, um, what would be your top five events you'd like to see? 
Oh, I'd love to have seen the, um, I think I, I may have given you uh, a list of these, but oh, I, would have, I, I would have liked to have had the experience of Ezekiel uh, and, and his vision. Yeah, I'd like to have had that whole experience, right? Mm. Uh, number one. Number two, I would like to have had uh, uh, Daniel's actual vision of the uh, 70 uh, weeks. I would mm. like to have had that explained to me in, in yeah. his whole vision. I, I'm a visionary. For sure. I, I love yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, I would like to have seen the, um, uh, I'd like to have been at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Uh, and, and the reasonings mm. that went there and the way they fellowshiped and how they did their thing, right? I yeah. really wish I could have been. And then I really wish I could have been in a, uh, the assembly in Corinth where they actually had a, an ecclesia gathering where everybody <laughs> could function and uh, even be interrupted. If, if somebody <laughs> has a revelation on the side and uh, let, the, says, let the guy that who's talking uh, be quiet and let the man with the revelation speak right yeah i've been in meetings where guys would say hey i'm talking okay don't yeah. interrupt me okay that's you know well i'm interrupting you because i just had a revelation to reinforce what you're saying or i just want to share what i have right now and and the, it says the first one just be silent in a gracious way how can you do that in an institutional gathering pastor i see something sit down and shut up until i finish my sermon well okay you know <laughs> what are you gonna do right I, yeah. i'm not trying to badmouth ministries but what i'm saying is i think there's a big difference between ministry and an ecclesia gathering ecclesia is not just a noun it's a verb and it's mm. something to be practiced okay mm. i wish also i could have been um i could have been with john on the isle of patmos where he saw the whole thing man i'd have been yeah. that have been just far out <laughs> yeah yeah oh my goodness and, and then I wish I could have been with Paul on all three of his missionary journeys. That's a little bit extensive, but I wish sure. I could have been yeah. with him and yeah. uh, been his little uh, Silos uh, or Barnabas for a while, and then Silas, and then his Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla and all the guys that hung out with him. Uh, just had a great, uh, he was always with some people. and uh, But now only Luke is with me. Demas, having loved this present or, or world, left me. Uh, but the poor guy Demas, his name forever lives in infamy, <laughs> having mm -hmm. loved this present world, <laughs> mm. you know. And so, yeah, there's so much, uh, you know, that uh, those are the five things I'd like to have. Uh, you probably never heard of those from anybody, right? No, no, I haven't. I, 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 I maybe have heard of uh, uh, Island of Patmos. I've heard that before for sure. Oh, yeah. um, but you know, it's like you know Daniel seventeen weeks. I don't, I don't even know if he he had to seal it up. He didn't really, he didn't quite understand it himself. Right. But in, in yeah. our time, yeah. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you would. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I like that though. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it makes sense. You, you're going right for all the, all the prophecies. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, well, not only prophecies, but I, but I like those answers. Um, but uh, tell people real quick, we you know, your, your websites, you know, what you're working on. Uh, where yeah, they can get, I'm working uh, from, on a whole yeah. bunch of books in oh. Russian right now, believe it or not. Yeah. We have a ministry throughout uh, uh, Ukraine and Russia with Word to Russia. It's a 50-year ministry. And I'm, I'm really blessed to do a number of books for them uh, as a publishing house. So I'm doing that right now. I'm working on um, what we call the Christ Ecclesia Institute. 
because One Body Life has a major ministry going on in Nigeria with uh, Nigerian believers. Uh, we minister there um, twice a year, once every month on Zoom or uh, WhatsApp or whatever the Google thing is going down the tubes. But I, I do it long distance wise. Uh, we have a studio here in Sacramento, Rockland, California. Uh, we do broadcasting out of that studio. Uh, and to the Christ Ecclesia Institute, I'm doing the curriculum and instruction for the, uh, the course of instruction. We have about 400 students in Africa who are involved in our program. And we're graduating our first class of, I think about 40 students uh, this February. And uh, so we're doing that. So we now have word to Pakistan. So we have an outreach in Pakistan, uh, which mm -hmm. has been really, really uh, fruitful. And um, yeah. yeah, so we we're kind of like all over the world. We're into, hey, we're into missions, right? We're supposed That's to be awesome. evangelizing. Yeah, occupied till I come, right? Yeah. So we're we're not just, uh, but we love theology. So we love we love the we love the. Uh, I was we had a restaurant the other day trying to reconcile two brothers, just having a great time with them. And a waiter comes up, and I said to the waiter, I said, "Well, have you heard the good news?" The waiter yeah. goes, "What? Right?" And, and I go, "You mean there's good news? Yeah, yeah, there's good news. Jesus died for your sins, and you are a sinner, aren't you?" <laughs> right. <laughs> he took the rap did you know that god 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 brought his son here and took the rap for us he, you know because uh, sin has a tendency to put you to death and uh, he took he took it for us and uh, so we need to share the gospel with anybody that comes in range and then we need to tell the brothers and sisters they are one in christ and that is an essential element of the truth of the gospel peter mm -hmm. is to eat with the gentiles Wow. you could even eat kosher with them they don't care you know <laughs> and some wow. of them will stop eating pork while you're at it good for you right <laughs> okay but that's, no, that's, uh, a... that's what we're doing right now oh and we're also into Great. the uh, the living room this is a uh an area that's actually has the measurements of the holiest of all oh really and, and we cool. have these 20 foot uh burgundy red blood curtains that that go up around this room and it's full of uh, stuffed chairs and furniture. You can fit, fit, fit about uh, uh, 50 people in there. And so we're, we're using that as a time of worship and praise and just fellowship in that, in that place. Neat. Yeah, then we have a couple of coffee uh, clashes with a bunch of guys every Saturday morning. There's about uh, 25, 30 different brothers that get together at Pete's Coffee. And, and uh, we're in great fellowship with each other. Then I work with another group that's called the Men's Encounter where everybody spills their guts and then we have to have Jesus clean us up. It's really good. And we do that for 48 hours. Uh, by the way, I'm not letting any grass grow under my feet, brother. Let's just put it out yeah. there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, well, uh, I've enjoyed conversating, man. It's been awesome. Um, uh, so thanks for coming on and uh, yeah. I'll let you uh, close this out in prayer. Amen. Father God, we just thank you so much for uh, this dear brother Delgado and his ministry and the, the weird Christian podcast. We thank you, Lord, that uh, it may seem strange uh, to a lot of people, but then again, you're outside the box. You've always been outside the box. And we want to go to you outside the camp, even bearing your reproach, Lord, that uh, we would be with you wherever you are, we want to be. And we know that you're living in us. You're living in our brother. Give him boldness and courage to broadcast the truth 
and stay open to what is in your word and encourage us all as we seek to do your will and bless this little program in the name of Jesus. Amen. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to share this with somebody you know. Like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, leave us a rating and review. You can email me at the Podcast at gmail.com. And with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.